Today on the show, we're combining this podcast with the heart of a monster to create a super podcast. Trust us, this will totally work. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. I have had such a long week, I feel <laughs> like I'm the first Witcher and just... Oh, man. Yeah, it's been a week, but I got my rum here, my Diplomatico dark rum. There you I'm go. I'm ready to talk episode three. Yeah, you know what? I should have poured myself some rum to talk about episode three as well, because I think we both have some takes today. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and I've let a lot of mine out already, so I'm going to let yeah. you be the one to really get <laughs> to, to really get into it, and I'll play off of it. But yeah, I think you know we kind of alluded in the previous episode that this is it was going to have to come down at some point. Yeah. And it started to come down in this episode. And uh, I think we might have also as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, before we get into all of that, let's take care of some housekeeping as we always do at the top of an episode. Of course, we are here to discuss the third episode in the Witcher spinoff series, Blood Origin, in case the listener accidentally clicked on something they didn't expect. <laughs> and a reminder to our listeners that these episodes are spoiler free in terms of this show. So you can watch the show and listen to this podcast in tandem. So today we'll be talking about episode three, but we won't be discussing what happens in episode four. That having been said, a fair warning that we do take into account the larger Witcher canon in these discussions. So that includes the books, that includes the video games, and that of course includes the first two seasons of the Netflix show. So be aware of light spoilers and speculation from the larger Witcher canon. Also, we love to hear from you, so email us at windshowling at loreparty.com. We still haven't received a dick joke for Brett that is going to make him laugh, so we still need that, folks. We challenge you to do that, and of course, send us your thoughts on Blood Origin and all things Witcher, windshowling at loreparty.com. So as always, the game plan for today is that we'll start with a summary of the episode, sharing our thoughts along the way. And then we'll dive in to some key takeaways and break down our thoughts a bit further. And finally, we'll wrap up by sharing our favorite quotes and our favorite scenes. So without further ado, Brett, take us through this episode, sir. All right, picking up right where we left off, literally in the middle of the scene. You remember where it cut away and the worm monster is going after Ayla, but it does get sliced in half when she gets through the portal. And this kind of caught me off guard again on the rewatch as I hit play. And I think I went to either adjust something or do whatever. And it had the intro and then it just went through it. And I was like, oh, shit, that's right. We're right in the middle of this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, we talked about it at the end of the last discussion, but such a weird spot to just cut the episode mid action, mid scene. And then for this one to start up exactly where the last one ended. Bit of an awkward and jarring way to start the episode for sure. Yep, but we're getting right into it as the group sees that they are near Zentria. And finally, everybody's all here. The gang's all here. Meldoff alerts them to Balor's Beast and feeding time. Mm-hmm. And says the iconic line, come with me if you want to live. Yeah, yeah, that's... 
I think I've heard that before somewhere. Yeah, I've heard that too. That rings some bells. Yeah, I have so many questions about basically this whole cold open. The fact that the beast is there raises a bunch of question marks for me. Like, is the beast just hanging out around Zintria? Is anyone feeding it? Who's in charge of this? Like, Balor is now in a jail cell, in a diamond radium jail cell. So who's watching this beast? Is it just running amok? None of these questions are answered or even raised. It is simply there in the sky, and Meldoff clearly knows when feeding time is, and we're just supposed to fill in the blanks, I suppose. Okay, I you said you have a lot of questions about this scene and this cold open. I've got a lot of questions anyway, so... None of what you're saying here, I'm glad you're saying it, because none of what you said actually occurred to me, because <laughs> I was just like, okay, it's here, let's go, and then all the other questions start later there. But yes, if it is just running amok on its own, that's going to be an issue. Why isn't it attacking Zintria, per se? Maybe he told him to right. don't do that, but the countryside would definitely be in peril. Yeah, and actually, in a scene a little bit later in the episode, Meldoff basically confirms that. Meldoff is like, oh yeah, the dragon wiped out XYZ town or whatever. I guess entirely off screen. <laughs> we just, it's such a throwaway line and it, it just raises so many questions for me about this beast and its very existence in the world right now. It's such a throwaway line. I've watched this episode three times and I don't recall that at all. <laughs> yeah, I only caught it on a rewatch. Okay. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> again, we're racing towards the line here. We Anytime are. something comes up, it goes to the next one. So it's just, okay, the beast is there. Everyone's together now. Yeah. So they're all get invited to Meldoff's home and the dwarf is very pleased to have them here. Their exploits are becoming more famous than their songs, as she says. And she knows about their plan to kill Merwin and the Empress and I, I guess they're singing about that. That's one of the songs is we're going to go kill the Empress, which, I mean, I know you're going to do that. And I know you're wiping out all these soldiers, but I guess everyone just knows this. That would be the title of one of the songs. Yeah. No, th this is a huge problem for me because like Assassination 101 is not to scream your plan from the rooftop so that everyone across the continent knows about it. This is so shocking to me. Like when I heard Meldoff say this. And the fact that Meldoff just simply knows this group makes utterly no sense to me. Like, how is word traveling across the continent so fast? How is this group getting so famous so fast? And why are Balor and Aridin having such a hard time tracking down such a presumably famous group of people that Meldoff just recognizes at first sight? I was going to say, I have a guess on it. Oh, I'd love to hear your theory. <laughs> I'm going to say that was all in episode 2.5 that was left mm. on the cutting room floor. It has mm -hmm. to be, right? It has to be. Yeah. Otherwise, this is, like you said, this is happening so quick, but in a way it's not because they're tra we see them traveling from a town and the next scene they're at a different town. It's one of those we can just say, okay, they've done certain things in the middle of it. And that's the only thing I can think of. This is yet another thing that I'm going to beat the dead horse about is because they cut so much stuff out and whether it be characterization or just added stuff like this, this is where it starts to feel squished together. That, like you said, it's just, how do they know all this? I think at this point it helps just thinking that it's all compressed, or assuming that it's all compressed. Yeah, just sort of accepting the fact that yes. things have happened and are happening off screen. And uh, that's just the reality of it. 
Which again, you have to do that. You can't look at it and be like, I need to see every little thing that happens, oh, but it is sure. something that's easier done in a 10 episode season or an eight episode season. It's just another one of those things in here. And I'll just preface this first. I'm not, I'm going to try not to be too like nitpicky negative. Like I think the first two episodes I've said, I've enjoyed it, but it's going to be a lot here where I'm going to, there's some good things in it. Don't get me wrong, but I think we're both going to be kind of needling <laughs> And picking yeah. at certain things as they happen here. Yeah, for sure. This was a tough episode for me. And I, for one, will do my best to maybe hold back, but I'm going to bring up the issues as I see them. <laughs> it, yes. And it, it contains my favorite scene and my favorite thing in the entire four episodes. Yeah, that's so, true. I did love this too. And I'm sure you recognize this as well. Mm -hmm, this inside mm -hmm. joke about brother death poisoning a sheep and feeding <laughs> it to the beast. <laughs> And this, as soon as I heard that, I was like, I know I've heard that story before. This has to be a reference to The Bounds of Reason, the short story. Yes. Where about poison, the villain Trentmirth one, Borch and the Golden Dragon. And yes, yeah, also like an old Polish legend of Scuba or something like that. But I thought this was a nice little funny callback because, you know, Brother Death says it and everyone looks at him like, he's a fucking idiot. Like, what? Like, what an idiotic thing. Yes. It's a genuinely funny moment. Yeah. And it did get a laugh out of me. I liked it. Fun little yeah, Easter Yes, so it was egg. the DiCaprio meme, like you're pointing, being like, I know that, I know that. Yes, yes, exactly. And they laughed at it too, which was funny. <laughs> and Sindril and Zachary have this heart-to-heart -heart about turning it. The Sindril kind of mentions, we can do something. And Zachary's like, no, 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 not again. Yeah. And they kind of leave and he goes to confront her. And they talk about previously trying to turn their mother into something from death. Like to save her from death, she was dying. They must have done something along these lines and it turned her into this monster. And I see you have a note on here of something I've never heard of. I'm sorry, heard of it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I know you're not an anime person, but I'm yeah. sure some of our listeners are. This plot point should be familiar to anyone out there who has ever watched the iconic, award-winning, near-perfect anime known as Full Metal Alchemist. The entire plot of that anime is that these two brothers tried to bring their mother back from the dead and instead brought some monster back and really now, that's the whole plot of that show and based off of this bit of backstory we get about central and zachary clearly that's exactly what they did here too lifted directly from full metal alchemist i I had a tough time. This was another issue I had with the episode. I, I just had a tough time with this. I was like, this is a bad look for the writers to just so directly basically take a story that is already so well-known and so famous and so popular and make it the backstory to Sindril and Zachary. And this is the only backstory we get also. Again, talking about go, go, go and pacing issues, this is the only conversation we ever get about their mother, their background, their relationship. Or their upbringing. Yeah. And that's something here about the characterization that I'll definitely have a lot to say later on. Yeah. All right. So this kind of jumps very, there's really only two places we go in this episode. And mm -hmm. it's usually very quick back to Zentria. So we'll kind of just dance around there and then go back. But yeah, Matterwin sleeps under this moonlight, looking up at these comments, streaking, talking to Solrith and Avalok, just too anxious for me, man. He's just uncomfortable. <laughs> he makes me uncomfortable. But he's, he's searching for this tome and he comes across this. Is this a book, a key? It's whatever gets the monoliths 
portals open. Like, he finds this under the floorboards. Mm-hmm. Classic. A classic place to hide your book tome under key. A creaky floorboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Ayla and Fial say this transformation needs to be a warrior, not some little bitch-ass mage over there. No, you got to be tough, <laughs> like one of us. And then Fial mentions something that caused me to drop my monocle oh. <laughs> into my champagne when he says, fuck destiny. Oh, like, Netflix Witcher. Hello. hello. You can't say that. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, by now, a very iconic line for anyone who has watched the Netflix Witcher shows. But yeah, Fial here, our boy, doesn't believe in destiny, much like another Witcher we know. Fuck destiny. Yeah, I just, it was nice hearing it after hearing, yeah, having, it was nice. For, for having a reason to rewatch season one, they get that word in more than I remember. Like they really go ham on it at times. So to hear him say fuck destiny, I'm like, thank you, Fial. You're speaking for me. There you go. <laughs> as well in there. All right. So Fial and Ayla, they argue over who is worse, who's done more bad, and who doesn't deserve to live. But I think it's also one of these things here where these are two like alpha warriors where it's, I want to be it. I need to do it. I'm the toughest one. And you start to see the feelings are really developing and they don't want to lose the other one. But I still think ultimately it's a selfless decision for both of them mm. of who wants to take on this transformation. Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of chest puffing happening, yeah. right? Like, ah, no, me, I'm the one that'll make the sacrifice. I killed more children. No, I burned more children alive. <laughs> I did Jeez. the worst. It's like, okay, y'all are both horrible people. You deserve right. each other. Okay. Right. It's like that one-upsmanship. You know, everyone's got that one friend in the group who's always oh, like, yeah. I, I can one-up that story. And um, yeah, it's, we'll talk about their relationship in a second here once we get to the kiss, but yeah, this is the first moment in the episode where we get a sense that they have developed some sort of feelings for each other. And I thought it was quite touching where Fial basically says that you have so much more to give to this world than I do because of your songs. The songs that we've established, the lowborn latch on to. So I did like that part of this conversation. And I think it would have been a lot better or maybe not as worse, however you want to say that. If it was on its own week to week. But as we mentioned before, we have to judge these episodes based on binging because Netflix is fucking dead set on this binging thing. Yeah. And to me, when you do that, you have to understand the pacing. I know pacing. Pa drink every time Brett says pacing. Drink yeah, every time real. anybody says pacing. <laughs> but because this was binged and this is how we did it, this episode just slams to a halt with so much characterization and so much talky talk, which, again, is great. It's my favorite part of any show in general, but here it's just, okay, you slammed on the brakes and you're doing all of that. And I guess it maybe just got lost on me in the middle of binging the show. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at this point, I'm so anti-binge. This isn't even just about The Witcher. I do not like watching my shows all the way through in a single weekend. Yeah. I actually love the week to week theory crafting vibe, you know, like what are people on Twitter saying? What are the Reddit theories? What's going to happen next week? I love that way of consuming television and I'm too busy to like watch eight straight hours of anything anyway. Yeah. And so like the binge format has never really been for me, but I think even more so now, I just wish Netflix would not do this with The Witcher. I would love to see how 
The Witcher is received if it was released week to week and people had time in between weeks to have conversations about it, to get that shit trending on Twitter week to week. Like it feels like these shows drop and they're talked about for like a week and then it's dead silence until the next season comes out. So I don't know. Again, I'm no Netflix executive. I don't have the numbers. Maybe their shows do better when they binge drop them. But I, as a viewer, am all for the week-to-week viewing experience. No, we're, we're recording this roughly three weeks after Christmas and after this episode drops, and it feels like it's so late. Right. It feels like it. we should have done this two weeks ago. Totally, because totally. Because of that binge mentality. And having done a like weekly podcast show over House of the Dragon last fall, it completely changes the show. Because like you said, you watch it, and then you sit on it, and then you watch it again, and you hear what people say. And even something like that where you can know some things, they'll still change up enough to make it new. And it's just like the build up into there, and then you get yeah. the reactions. And yeah, it's Netflix MO to binge. I don't think they're ever going to change it at this point. I'm not holding out any hope, but it would be an amazing surprise. It would be. So later that same night, the group decides to throw a wake for Ayla's impending death to come. Everyone but Skian gets totally sloshed, and everyone's having a great night. It's a lot of fun, but my boy Fial, huge party foul here, he accidentally lets slip to Skian that there's no entrance, no secret entrance into Zintrea, and he has been lying this whole time. And doesn't really have a game plan for how they're going to get in there. I just love that Skian asked him about it. And he's just like, there's no entrance. <laughs> and he's just so fun. And she just dresses his ass down with what's going to be my favorite line. So I'll save it. But she says that and he just, he instantly looks so ashamed of it. And I'm like, okay, he respects her. But he's just, I just like that. Like, <laughs> there's no entrance. I would have closed it down if there was one. Yeah. Of course, Skian reacts to it. She's the grown-up in this crew, and she leaves in the dead of night, and we see her holding a wanted poster of Fial. Yeah, I wasn't buying it. Like, not oh, to yeah? be like, oh, I know. I no, fell it, for it. it. On my you first did? watch, oh. I fell for it. I was like, oh, no, Michelle Yo, don't do this to me. That's why I didn't think they'd do it. If it would have mm. been another character, maybe, but I'm like, no, not the main, not the main quote. Maybe not the main character. She's not the main character, but the lead for like sure. Actor, if you will. I just, I don't know. I guess I'm just smarter than now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Over to Zentria with a wizard fight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Balor and Avalanc fights, but Airden shows up with a knife to Fenric's throat, and Balor acquiesces, releasing Avalanc. And I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> Why is what I have to say about this? I watched yeah. the scene and just was shocked. Like, mouth open, speechless. I thought he was going to be like, okay, sure. Cut her throat. What do I care? Yes, exactly. Is it is that not the Balor character we've set up in the last two episodes? I thought they episodes? were together. Like, I thought they were husband and wife together at this point. I'm like, oh, they must be together. Otherwise, he wouldn't give a shit that much. Because she hasn't really done anything that yeah. we've seen that he can't do. Exactly. Like, it's not like he needs her for something. She hasn't shown that in the show that he needs her or she provides something. Right. 
And we've seen that he's not above murdering children to get what he wants. So if that's the bar we're setting, it is a very tough sell for me personally to believe that he's like, oh, wait, no, children is fine by me, but you can't harm Fenric. And maybe Fenric is someone very close to him. Maybe he does care about Fenric more than he cares about anyone else. But when did we ever establish that in this show? You know, for this scene to have any sort of weight, we needed to have established some sort of relationship between Balor and Fenric for there to be any stakes here. And there's just zero stakes. And it's totally out of left field why he would back off and be like, oh, please don't harm Fenric. She means something to me. That's what I was fooled by. You were fooled by the wanted poster and skiing. I was fooled by him actually saying like, no, I'll surrender. I was like, okay, he's got another, he's got another trick up his sleeve. Oh, really? You thought there was a, like a game within a game going well, on Well, like here. you said, she's there. Okay, they're together. Initially, I thought those were their kids they killed, but once he killed them, I knew it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But then I just was like, okay, she's a, a helper? Yeah, an what, apprentice? What, what is what she? she? Yeah, she, he's going to call her that later. But at this point, like you said there, it's just what does she bring to yeah. it? I, again, let's just flog the dead horse. I'm sure there was a scene <laughs> or something cut out where she added something. She figured something out right. to maybe what helped bring about those portals open. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Okay, I'm trying to hold off. As long as possible. Yeah. I'm I can see it another, on your face. Yeah, I'm pour another pour, glass. There you go. I'm going to pour another drink right now. <laughs> because <sighs> Brother Death and Meldoff, uh, they get yeah. their nice backstory time. We, everyone gets their backstories in this episode. Another problem that I had with it is they just force them all into this one, but we'll get to that at the end. Right. And Meldoff gets this, you know, super heartfelt story about Gwen and how Gwen was violated and murdered by these elves. And she gets this steel and forges it, puts Gwen's ashes in there and got her revenge. And okay, she gets that. It's time for Brother Death's. All mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. So Brother Death gets his and he looks over at Zachary and he's talking about how he's done so much bad and evil. And she's overlooked that. <sighs> I got to take a drink. <laughs> And then right in the middle of it, fucking Meldoff falls asleep because we can't have any fucking seriousness here. It was gone on for too long. Meldoff gets hers, but Brother Death gets his... I'm... uh, Yeah. I'm calm now. But this is the stuff right here that I'm not joking. I wanted to punch my monitor. I wanted to break my fucking computer. I hate it. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I don't understand it. It takes me out of the scene. It makes me dislike Meldoff as a fucking asshole who then just jokey jokey. Oh, you're pouring your heart out. I'm glad you listened to mine. But during yours, I'm going to fall asleep and then make a joke about it. Mm-hmm. And then Brother Death to just, oh, oh, that's just Meldoff over there. I fucking hate this shit. I fucking yeah. hate it. I cannot say it in any other more direct terms how much this type of of filmmaking or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I think it's absolutely terrible and I fucking hate it if I wasn't clear enough. (laughs) (laughs) You dropped nearly as many fucks as the first season of The Witcher did. I almost had as many as Yaskier's first line. (laughs) I'll put, should I put that in blood origin terms? I fucking fuckity fuck fuck hate this scene. 
There you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you said it. You said exactly how I feel about this too. It's just a damn shame that we can't let an emotional moment, whether it's dark, whether it's gritty, whether it's emotional and sad, linger for too long before having to throw in some fucking cheesy joke that breaks the scene. Before the moment where she falls asleep, I genuinely was like, wow, what a good scene. These actors are fucking bringing it. And look at the bonding happening between these two people that just met. This is so cool. And she's asleep. It fooled me on the second viewing. The second <laughs> yes, time I watched it. On the rewatch. I, it happened again and I went, oh my God, it got me again. Because yes, it was good. It's bad enough to me in the middle of a fight when they have the quips and stuff to take you out. But like you said, this right here has set up. It's been a slow episode. You're setting this moment up. You had Meldoff give her thing. And we're exposed. And we're exposed as an audience because I'm starting to feel things. Yeah. And when you pull that rug out to make a fucking joke, you've taken me completely out of the characters and out of the scene. Yeah. I agree with you. Ugh. However, and I mean this, and this is what this show has done. It's presented something I've been like, oh, that's dumb. And then instantly giving me something that's like, yes. Ayla starts singing a song. Yeah. Echo in the river. Like right after. Like instantly. Right after, this song is so fucking good. It's one of those songs that within 15 seconds, I literally was Googling it to pull it up on Spotify because I knew I was going to play it again. And from the first time hearing it, the emotions are back. And even now when I listen to it, I listened to it again last night, like just on its own, not even in the episode. And I'm like welling up and I feel it. And the lyrics and everything is so pertinent to not just this show, but almost like any kind of struggle. This is so good. And I don't want to be reactionary, but this is one of my favorites. And it might be up there of any song in any movie or wow. any show. Okay. I know. I'm trying to think of anything that doesn't. Like I said, the bar I hold is as soon as I hear it and on a first time listening, does it make, does it invoke all of these emotions? And it did. Wow. This is so fucking good. Yeah, we said it in our past discussions as well, but the music and the score for the show are two things that can't be faulted, are two of the best parts of Blood Origin. And I think you're so right. Ayla's song here is an example of what this show and what the Witcher universe and what this team can do at their best. It's so good. And I think the biggest thing is it's Bear McCreary. Like, this dude's up there. And he's, I think he's doing The Last of Us that's about to come out. But like I said, this is one of those where I can almost detach it from this. Because it's the song in and of itself that gets me going. They're actual, because they have a heart-to-heart -heart here and they kiss. And, oh, they kiss. This, to me, it was inevitable kind of that it was going to happen. And again, it's just, it's too quick. For it to really hit me, like I can kind of buy it. I can buy people in a struggle coming together. Well, right. I can buy that. But again, it's just one of those where it's just so quick, that kind of thing again. Yeah, the Fial Ayla kiss for me was controversial, I think is maybe the right word. I didn't outright, it, it was no Kylo Ren Ray kiss, right? That to me was oh, like- did they, they kissed? 
Oh, have you not seen episode nine? I have tried to watch Rise of Skywalker two times, and I said, nope. Okay. Well, probably for the best, in all honesty. I but do they not regret my decision. At the end of that movie. Do they really? Kylo and Ray. It is notorious. And honestly, like, it was like repulsive when that happened. I did not have the same reaction to this kiss. It was not that bad, <laughs> Fiala and Ayla. But it was tough for me to buy it because I don't have an issue with an enemies to lovers plot. That's fairly standard. I can believe it if it's sold to me. But to sell it, it has to be a slow burn. We have to know that the feelings are changing because just two episodes ago, these two were like ready to kill each other. And now they're here like kissing and crying over each other. You know, like the emotions are so 180 and it's so fast that it's hard to believe this sort of enemies to lovers story can be done well and has been done well but you need more time to do it. And again, drink every time we talk about the damn pacing. Well, I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure the effects that happened sold it for you. Oh my God. No, okay, so this is one thing that I was repulsed by, was the cheesy, shitty, like, very obvious someone holding a light bulb and flashing it on and off in the background as they kiss, and then the thunder go- Oh my <laughs> God. Honestly, if you took that out, I'd maybe be like, at least 60% more okay with this kiss, you know? Just take out the thunder and the weird flashing light strobe thing. Ugh, awful. I think I was so just checked out on the scene. I don't. I, I remember seeing it, but I don't think I was even paying that much attention when it happened to actually have a reaction or thought yeah. about it. It's just so bad and cheap. Like, it's so obvious. There's like an intern holding a light off camera, turning it on and off. The production is what I had the most problem with. Like, okay. It was just kind of cheesy and bad and low budget. <laughs> All right. Next morning, Ayla wakes up and Fjall <laughs> has decided to be the man about it. And he's jumped in front and he gets to be the first witcher. Yes. This was what I could only equate to like a burning black tar yeah. that they're pouring down his throat and he's like coughing it back up. I am curious, like, how did they film that? Did they just pour stuff down and him spit whatever that shit was back up. How long did they do that? How long did he have to be tied down? It looks like a tough scene, a tough, very physical scene to film, you know? That must have been an exhausting day on set. I don't know. I don't know how they do that with the goop. Maybe it actually tastes really good, you know? Like afterwards, he gets to lick it all up and, and swallow it. <laughs> like it's like chocolate? Yeah. yeah it's something. actually like really dark chocolate or something. <laughs> Maybe that maybe that would actually be okay. All right, so Avalok leads Merwin in her new armor. Ooh, she got some new drip there. Yeah. What do you think of it? I actually quite liked it. I was like, yeah. oh, I don't know. That's kind of a good look for her. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Aridin's got his normal scale armor on there. So they're okay. Avalok's going to lead him in the portal. He's finally going to do something. No, he just fails completely. And this fucking dork, man. <laughs> this fucking dude. I love how much of an issue you have with that. Because it, I just can't, again, I'm, I'm old and I'm just the child of these stupid 80s, like college comedies. I wasn't old enough to be in college in the 80s. Don't get me wrong. I just watched a lot of them when I was a kid in the 90s. Yeah. And this yeah. dude just inhibits this screech type 80s nerdlinger. And he's just so jittery. And that's all I see him. And now he's fucking failing. Like, he saved Merwin, and like you said before, 
he finally has a chance to shine, and he's a fucking failure. Yep, I mean, it's a tough look for Avalog here, and it dawns on Merwin and Aridin that uh, they're going to need Balor. Balor's got a monopoly on this whole monolith situation, and they're going to need to convince him to help them. And I want to point out, Brett, it's here in episode three that I realized there's a famine and that there's a food shortage and that part of why they're so obsessed with going to these other worlds and using these monoliths is for food because Aridin's like finally says it outright. And I was blown away by that. I, I this like, has been a running theme. We, we probably haven't mentioned it because there's like a million fucking things mentioned but they have mentioned this throughout, that there has been a shortage, and this is a big reason why Merwin does want to go and conquer these other worlds. Yeah, and, and clearly it went above my head, and I'm sure No, you're right. I have... never thought to make a note of it either, and when you said it there, I was like, oh, fuck, we haven't mentioned this is the reason why they're doing it, have we? Yeah, right, right. All right, so all that horrible shit we talked about, the burning tar down the throat, <laughs> that was not the transformation. That was just oh, to get man. him ready. And this, mm-hmm. is where you met, this is where you mentioned before this fucking massive monster heart sprouts these branches or limbs or whatever and injects Fial with the sweet nectar of the witcher. Nectar of the witcher? Is that what we're calling? Witcher juice, sweet <laughs> That's nectar. like a new iced tea flavor, you know? <laughs> yeah, witcher juice. It's like, Ew. I don't know if I want to... Yeah, exactly. That's like... something different, Brett. That's a... <laughs> But either way, like, this was horrific, and they do. I promise. I promise I won't rant about this. Oh, no, he's dead. Oh, but he's not. Like, we know he's not fucking They just don't. Like, we know. I understand. I understand that when they write, this is written as a screenplay, and they're written to do it. We've all watched a billion things of television. We know he's not going to fucking die. Please don't do the fake out. Yes, I know I can believe it from the characters, but not from the fucking viewer. Please don't fake out a character dying that we know is not going to fucking die. Yes. Amen, amen, amen. Honestly, respect the viewer's intelligence more than that. No one watching this believed that Fial died in this moment. And it just takes away, again, talking about stakes, it takes away the stakes of this scene. Because it's like, well, he wasn't going to die, so I don't really care that Ayla is heartbroken over his death because he, he wakes up right away i agree i agree we, we need to respect the viewer's intelligence much more than this we have all at this point in modern pop culture seen the fake out death and no one believes the fucking fake out death anymore we can stop doing that yeah yeah lord of the rings two towers we know aragon's not fucking dead you just <laughs> did that shit with gandalf fucking peter jackson you piece of shit no i'm kidding all right meldoff and brother death <laughs> Have another chat. Yes. I'm not on my last tangent that Brother Death is not maybe talking to his lover. Well, I'll, I'll save that. But <laughs> Meldoff and Brother Death talk, and this is not going to be the last time I lead off a thing with that. And the whole elf and human thing becomes more blurry. I think it might have been you that pointed it out. I couldn't remember who pointed out to me that these elves don't seem like elves, that they're humans with pointy ears. I don't remember yep. who did it. But this right here is where it's the most blurry where Meldoff is talking about all the tragedies and the travesties committed upon them by the elves. It's literally the same thing that the humans have done to the elves and the elder races in the Witcher. And I keep forgetting at times that these are all elves. 
that these aren't humans in there. Yes. And I've heard differing opinions and I respect them and that's fine. I just don't think we need this. Like we're going to get enough of this. We've gotten enough of it in the Witcher series. We're going to get a ton of it because they finally introduced the Scoia'tael here, which means they're going to have the Scoia'tael in the Witcher season three. Yeah. We're going to get enough of that in the Witcher. I understand a major thing about the Witcher is like racism and intolerance. I just don't think we need this forced into here when there's just so fucking much. Like, we already had Meldoff talk about it. We've seen enough of it. We don't need this right here. Another fucking scene. There's not enough time to have this in there. Like, we get it. Yeah, I agree. This, like, relationship between dwarves and elves in Blood Origin so closely mirrors the relationship between humans and elder races in the primary Witcher canon that it just, yeah, it, it feels like a lazy recycling of the same theme over again. I wish there was a more interesting dynamic between the elves and the dwarves, something different, you know, maybe there's some cooperation, but some animosity, maybe there were some conflicts in the past. We get some hints of that because the Zintrian palace is built on dwarven ruins. So the monoliths are dwarven. Apparently, the monoliths are dwarven. Like, there's a way to make this history and this relationship more interesting between these two races. Not in this show. Not with four episodes. No, <laughs> not no, no, with no, no, four no, 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 episodes. no, no. You, exactly. Like, we, we already talked about how when they let off with this, when the mini driver, I don't know, so beyond, whatever the hell her name was, the storyteller, yeah, was talking with the, the askers. Oh, you've heard about this and this and this, and I'm like. That's like one for each episode. Y'all got a lot of work to do. And it is, it's just stuff that gets shoved too much in there. But Meldoff decides she's going to join them because she has nothing fucking else to do. She's already got her vengeance. And I want to run this by you as well. Yeah. So many stories are about the folly of vengeance. How if you seek vengeance, it becomes you and you become what you hate and all that Nietzsche kind of thing right there. Yeah. Here... Vengeance is fucking badass. How do you think about that message in The Witcher of all things? Yeah. It's just weird. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I'm not dogging on it. I'm just fascinated when shows choose to show vengeance in a good light because overwhelmingly it's shown in a negative light. And I think for good reason. Yeah. It's interesting that for Meldoff, vengeance in this show was just a to-do list. She's done <laughs> with the grocery list and now she doesn't know what, what to do with her life. Yeah, she's done. I, I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of this idea that, like, she will find some sort of peace. I mean, it's it's obviously not peace, right? It's an emotional scene where she's tearing up, and she is not fulfilled by this vengeance. She has You no, don't believe that? I, I believe she so. is. Oh, really? No, yeah. I believe she's 100% fulfilled, and that's really? why she's like, because that's why she's like, I'll go with y'all, and I'll go kill some more fucking people. Interesting. No, she's see, not I, torn I, up. Is she in any way resentful or regretful about what she has done? No, you're correct you about that. She's not regretful about the vengeance and for killing those elves, but I think she's not happy now, right? Like perhaps we can read into Meldov's character and think this horrible tragedy happened to her and someone she loves. And to her, the way to process that and get through it is to kill those four fucking elves that did it. And now that she's killed them, she's suddenly realizing I haven't processed anything. Like I'm still as sad as I was yesterday and the day before and the day before. And I think 
the actor does a really good job. I mean, there's tears in her eyes when she says this. She's like, I'll join up with you. I have nothing else to live for. One last ride into glory. I read that as she's realizing that she can't get over the tragedy. You know, like the it, the tragedy is too much for it her. Didn't bring and killing her these it didn't bring Gwen back. It didn't bring Gwen okay. back. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a dark read on it, but no, I yeah, it. no, I, yeah, she's definitely not. She's happy at times, but that's only when she's apparently doing those godhead mushrooms or <laughs> drugs or when she's shooting a double arrow at some Zentrian soldiers. Yeah, I mean, pour, pour some of that godhead CBD in my iced tea. <laughs> is that what it is? A CBD? <laughs> I must say, that sounds like it's more like acid the way they yeah. said it. You're yeah. right, you're right, yeah. And so in Zentria, Skian has sold out. Oh my God, you fell for it. How did you think? No. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God. All right. So she gets an immediate audience with Merwin. And my note here is trophy case, LMAO. <laughs> <laughs> that little piss ant trophy case. I'm like, I know. You could 3D print that trophy case, you know? Dude, there's nothing else around <laughs> it. It's five feet tall. It's so like junior high yeah level yeah, yeah i bet your school has a cooler trophy case than merwin's yeah that's sh- and there's nothing else in that hall i'm like why is this the only thing in there <laughs> i don't know for the but, plot <laughs> i know and we'll get on to and speaking of hurrying the plot along merwin is the worst fucking negotiator i've ever oh seen God. she doesn't counter with anything from a position of power she's like what do you need okay fine okay like, nope one more <sighs> okay what uh, I need this. I need 50 people in all their armor. Fine. Make it so. Can I go now? Like, just let me go. Yeah. <laughs> she just lets it go. <laughs> uh, it's a bummer because we talked about how in episode one and two, I, I won't speak for you, but for me, I was a big fan of Merwin and I was like, oh, wow, she's maybe the most interesting character in this show. Yeah. I'm excited to see where her story arc goes, where her character goes. And it's here in episode three that it kind of totally falls flat for me. She's She's out here like making the worst negotiations in history because she's just being emotional and rash and making decisions because she just really wants to see Fial, I guess. Again, we talked about that last episode, why it's weird that she would still be obsessed with this man. But yeah, this is where Merwin's character suddenly is just flatlining for me. I will counter that with, I will see her or I see her as a woman of action and she's not a talker. She's not a diplomat. She's okay, whatever you want to do. Okay, good. Let me go on to my conquest. Let me go on to needing to speak with Balor, needing to do all that. So I maybe kind of do that where she's not one to really talk much. She's not a thinker. She's a doer. Mm, That's a good point. That's a good point. She doesn't know how to slow down and consider something twice. (laughs) And she's never had to do it because she's always been in the shadow, if you will, of her brother or just simply a pawn ready to be used. That's a good point. All right, so Fjol and Ayla, bang. Oh, yeah. But it, it doesn't matter. Like, he's already gone through. They called it the Trial of the Grasses as well. And when they said it there, I'm like, okay, that's the Trial of the Grasses. Uh-huh, like, it doesn't uh-huh. matter. Like, there, there can't be a kid. So, whatever, right? No, of course not. Yeah. Right. Okay. Everyone knows that about witchers. Yeah. They can't there won't be children. a kid. Can't. <laughs> I just want to say, this felt very unsafe to me. Like, not even, like, talking pregnancy. Unsa- I, I I mean, like, he's going through something right now, right? Like, physically, he's having a hard time keeping things under a wrap. So, is, like, the throes of lovemaking the right thing to be doing right after the trial of grasses? Like, 
I mean, there's even a shot at one point where his eyes go black and his veins pop, which like, I have to assume he's coming, but I did not even think of that. <laughs> oh, I thought of it, Brett. Oh, and I, I bet I, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. I, I mean, I'm just like, I was so stressed during the scene. Cause I was like, dude, you need to be resting my guy. Sex is not the thing you didn't, you need to be doing after like a major transformative <laughs> operation. Yeah. Um, if y'all go take a nap, buddy, you don't know what your junk can even do right now. You're like 10 times as powerful as you were this morning. Be careful. Well, and this they, dude's a monster. Like, like <laughs> the way he looks too is, I guess that's, I guess that's Ayla's thing right there. Yeah. Uh, Balor and Fenric are imprisoned in Balor's own dimeridium cell right here. Yeah, definitely. True sacrifice comes from within. He's realized that. And Merwin offers him a way out. And it's very clear if Merwin's there that Balor's like, okay, well, your, your boy, your fucking dork there couldn't do it, could he? And they do a good job there of dancing around and like flattering each other. And the only thing I really take out of this was Fen Fenwick's. Fenric's is a Fenwick was Fenric's <laughs> line of you can't trust this bitch. So funny. And then Balor just she thinks you from the bottom of her heart. Yeah, that, that was a good use of Hastel in that scene. And I and I will say props to the show for that level of representation to have sign language be the primary form of communication for one of the characters. I did like that. So props to the show for that. Yeah. All right, Skion returns. Skion. Skion returns, saying that she scouted ahead. And, you know, there's no questions out like that. Yeah, Fjall comes out and everyone sees, whoa, he's, uh, he's, looking, a bit, he's looking a bit different. <laughs> right, so when Skion says, hey, I've got this shortcut through this, like, valley or whatever, they get mm -hmm. there and, oh, it's a dead end. Uh -oh. And then, yeah, Skion, turncoat. Did this fool you any? It fooled me. It did. I was kind of like, oh, shit, are we going there? Is there going to be a betrayal within this group? Because again, you know me, I talked about this in our past conversations. I would have loved some inner group dynamics, some conflict within the group. Yeah. So I was fooled. And maybe, like you said right there, there wasn't enough intergroup dynamics for me to believe it. I did mm. not buy it. The one thing that, I, that did fake me was in episode two, I almost, I did believe like maybe she was going to die. Oh, yeah. Or she got yeah, wounded. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking like, I was like, oh, they will not do that. I will turn this shit off right now if she <laughs> Don't does Don't you it. hurt Michelle Yeo. <laughs> Don't do, no, she's obviously like, when I say my favorite character, it's only because Skian's not in this enough. And that's the number one gripe. That's another gripe I have. I agree. She's not in enough because she's just, her screen presence is just too fucking good. And we see it here. But she does a little fakey fake here. And oh, lo and behold, she's actually pulled the double agent. No, like a triple agent. Where she's now gone back, these cell swords arrive and they kill everybody. And I'm gonna take grab a shot. My rum, because <laughs> I've got one last drink to pour. Yeah. And one last little thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. They take these Zentrian's armor because they're gonna use this to get into the city. Meldoff has her own dwarf sized armor. She does. Where the fuck? <laughs> did she get this armor because there's no fucking dwarves in that Zentrian because they're fucking racist towards dwarves yes do they have little people where did she she's just sitting there in her armor and that's not really fully it 
All right. That's why I poured the drink. Mm. But a take the drink. Oh, okay. Is on the way up. I think we get there to there. On the way up into the city, Meldoff and Brother Death have yet another conversation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Notice how I've said Meldoff and Brother Death. Are they together? Is that the love of his life? Is that who saved him and he's devoted to now? Brother Death has not talked to his girl all episode. He looked at her when he was talking about his backstory, made some eye contact, hasn't said a word to Zachary. It hit me on the third one. I'm sitting there again making the notes because that's what helps when you make the notes. And I'm like, why am I typing Brother Death and Meldoff are talking again? They're talking to each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take my drink now. <laughs> and Brother Death tells Meldoff, should I fall? Basically avenge me. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, where is your fucking girl? Why are you not talking to She's the like love of your life? <laughs> Who saw you in that? What? I, and it's just, again. Yeah. It's just stuff like that that I'm, I'm poking fun at. And I'm not really like, but it's just, again, something that just gets lost with too much shit to do is why did you even make Brother Death and Zachary together when they're not ever fucking together? Right. Do we even have a one-on-one scene with them at any point in this show? I legitimately don't remember too much of episode four. I've only seen episode four once. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to rack my brain to think about if they did then. Because even now, when they first met up, when in the Marsh of the Mist, Mist of the Marsh, whatever they call it. Yeah. Then they got, oh, they talked to each other. They're, oh, my love, blah, 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 blah. Right, right. Outside of that, definitely not this episode. Yeah. And it's just, again, it's something there is I see fucking Meldoff in that goddamn little armor. I don't know. Again, I'm not like show ruined or anything like that. Right. It's just, and again, this might, I don't know. We're going to do the takeaways. So I'll save it for the fucking takeaways. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about this summary then is I had issue with this same exact scene between Meldoff and Brother Death for an entirely different reason. Okay. And I know I've made a number of references to Lord of the Rings, but <sighs> here's one more because this cannot, I, this cannot pass. Did they try to recreate the Gimli Legolas at the Black Gates die side by side with a friend scene? They didn't actually, if they would have said an elf and a dwarf, I would have 100% agreed with that. But they didn't say that, right? They didn't they say- They didn't say it directly, no. But to me, the implication was there. Like, I am Meldoff, I'm a dwarf, I hate your kind, I've killed your kind. And Brother Death being like, I'm an elf and my kind have committed atrocities. Will you avenge me when I fall? Like, to me, I was like, this is the Gimli Legolas scene. They're walking up to a fucking gate. It's two races that hate each other, but now these two have seen past their prejudice about each other, and now they're fucking friends. I was just like, yeah, the audacity to even try and recreate one of the most iconic. Not not even recreate, but like, if you're going to om- do an homage to something, like... This was clucky then, if this was an homage. It just was not good. Yeah. Let's take a quick break now, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute to talk about our takeaways for this episode, have one last conversation about it, share our favorite scenes and favorite quotes before we call it a day. 
So we'll see you in a minute, dear listener. All right, folks, welcome back. Let's dive straight into our takeaways for today's episode. We've already touched on a lot of these things throughout the summary and throughout the conversations we've had thus far, but I did want to just dive into a couple of things with you, Brett, that came up for me during this episode that we haven't touched on yet. I said earlier that this is the episode that sort of falls apart for me, and that holds true for episodes three and episodes four. For what it's worth, I really liked episode one. I enjoyed episode two. There was potential there. I had my issues with it, but nothing was so detrimental that I was like, okay, I don't want to keep watching. Episode three is where I was kind of like, oh no, things are falling apart. Are they going to be able to land this ship in episode four? One of those things for me was the monolith plot, especially here in episode three. Because as you said, we basically cut between two scenes this whole episode. We're in the cave with the group at Meldov's house, or we are in Zentreya. And I feel like nothing really happened in the Zentreya scenes in this episode. Like, Merwin, I've talked about my issues with her in this episode already, but she's out here making horrible negotiations and rash decisions and thinking with her heart and not her brain. Aridin has... One scene, maybe? He shows up in that one monolith scene in his armor and doesn't really do much beyond he, that. He put the knife to Fenric's throat. He didn't he move much. The, he literally oh, didn't yes, move. Thank you for catching me on that. <laughs> he literally just shows up with a knife to Fenric's throat and that's it. <laughs> okay, you're right. There. So he, he did do that. I stand corrected. Yeah. Avalok, we've talked about this mousy motherfucker just failing left and right. And he did nothing. You're right. Like this episode, yeah. he found the book, a port key, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And that was it. Port key. <laughs> I know. That just came to me. I was like, okay, it's a fucking port key. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, we've already talked about the issues we have with this like Balor, Fenric relationship that doesn't exist in the show, but apparently is super important to Balor. I'm just curious, all of that having been said, what are your thoughts on this? monolith plot so far because that has been a central plot in this show it's the driving force of the show is it working for you it's the driving force of the universe because <laughs> it is though and yeah it's such a big deal in the witcher and when it came into here i was like oh man those monoliths i think it's something that they had planned that sounded really good when they did it it was their way of connecting everything, and it just has not mm -hmm. translated as much into it. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, what was the point of everything in Zentria? But yeah, I think from beginning to end of this episode, it's Balor trusted, but in charge, and now Balor untrusted, but in charge. Yep. And I think that's it. And yeah, like Avalok has solely existed to be Avalok to mm -hmm. where we'll know who he is. Yeah, I don't, I, I guess that's a, that, that's it. I think he succinctly, <laughs> he succinctly put it. Yeah, I mean, we've t touched on some of our more in-depth issues with it, but I just, I, I think your point earlier, you ma made this point earlier and I totally agree this series is incapable of being slow, but this is the slowest episode of the ones we've watched so far and perhaps of the whole series because we have 
a lot of talky talk, character moments. We get so much backstory from everyone. And very few big picture things happen. Like the first Witcher is perhaps the biggest event of this episode, the central event of this episode. But all of that sort of happens in a cave outside of Zentrea. And to me, yeah, there is like an awkward pacing issue with this episode where it's suddenly like things are happening in episode one. Things are happening in episode two. Oh, fuck. We need to tell the viewer about these characters in episode three before we can land this ship in episode four. You know, it feels like a huge course correction here in episode three to try and raise the stakes of this show before the finale in four. Yeah, everything was shoved into this episode to where it's we have to really make everybody care about it. Some of this stuff, I don't know how they could. I honestly, it was an impossible task. What they did here, and I don't know why, we've seen videos and some articles that talked about it of what they cut out and the showrunner Declan DeBara giving his thoughts and why he wanted to keep things in and why they cut it. Obviously, most of what they cut, actually everything they had on their cutting was characterization. Right. They didn't cut any fights and something like that. Honestly, I, I wonder if that's something where Netflix is like, no, we gave you the fucking money to film this shit. Like, we're not cutting any kind of combat. <laughs> In this combat, there was really only that massacre at the end. I think this episode was paced fine, but in the idea of binging, it comes to a screeching halt. Yes. In there. And to me, it not only comes to a screeching halt, it's the pace that comes off the rails. Like, We've gone the speeding train. Now we're off the rails. Yeah. Whether the they can consistency of it. Yeah. Whether they can land it off the rails, check back <laughs> for episode four. But everything was just shoved into here. The characterization of just about everybody. We've already known about Fjall and Ayla, but Zachary Sindral got their thing. Meldoff Brother Death got their thing. And Skian, we had hers already. So those four finally get in here. And it's almost again, I don't know, I don't know if it's derogatory or something, but it goes back to like, so it's like the check mark. It's okay, we checked off Syndral, we got yep. Zachary, okay, Brother Death, Meldoff, and it's okay, we've got it, we've got them in there, the end game is now set. For sure. I think that's a totally valid point. It does feel like checking things off of a to-do list so that we can make it to the finale in the next episode. All right, one more thing I wanted to chat with you about that we haven't really gotten into yet. The first Witcher, the origin of the Trial of Grasses, Fial becoming the first proto-Witcher, I guess you could say. It's not a full-on Witcher. Did this work for you? Is this what you expected? What are your thoughts here on the origins of the Witcher? Because this is big for longtime fans like us. Yeah, I think I naively guessed that, I think in the basic Witcher lore, that the first Witcher is created after humans come. It's after yeah. the conjunction and all of that. So I think I erroneously guessed that it was going to be a human thinking, okay, this is going to have to do with the conjunction and the human's going to get there. That was obviously stupid because there's only four episodes. <laughs> so it was a terrible guess. But yeah, there's no Cosimo Malaspina. There's no Alzer here, which is fine, whatever. They've changed so much of the source material, whatever. They're going to kind of do their own thing. It does seem to be just lackluster. But again, it yeah. goes back to how could it not be just with how little they've had it? Yeah. Lackluster is the perfect word. That's how I felt about Underwhelming. it. Underwhelming. Right. Exactly. I was very whelmed by it. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. And I agree with you 100% that it didn't follow any theories that I had in my own head about it. 
And of course, in the books, it's different. The witchers are created post-conjunction of the spheres after there's monsters and the mages are ordered to create these witchers. And then we get these witcher schools, blah, 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 blah. We may still get that. This may be like a very origin origin, right? Like this may be the first experimental test that then becomes later the witchers that we do know. But at the end of the day, I keep saying the word stakes. Maybe that's the drinking game for this episode is every time Abu says there's no stakes, drink. <laughs> it didn't build up enough stakes for me to be like, this is a huge fucking deal. This is wild. Like, look at this crazy thing they're trying. No, this was like plan B for them. Like, you yeah. know, there was, there's no sense of discovery. There's no sense of like, there is risk, but there's no sense that this isn't going to work. So yeah, lackluster, just okay, was exactly whelmed. how I've, I felt. Whelmed. Whelmed was the overarching feeling for the uh, origin of the witchers here. All right. Well, let's end on a more positive note. I'd love to hear what your favorite scene from today's episode was from this third episode it was the echo in the river song the yeah come with me oh lover they sang in there it's just great i talked about it earlier immediate emotions within 10 15 seconds of it mm -hmm. i've heard it two three dozen times since then and it still keeps evoking an emotional response it's incredible and it's it I do often wonder if you take the songs out of this show, how much less the show is like this being buoyed, if you will, because yeah. as much as so much of this episode, I didn't really care for. This is the thing that sticks with me. It's not the annoyances that I had. It's this song. And it's, a, it's great. I agree. For me, I admitted earlier that the ski and fake out totally got me <laughs> the first time I watched. So for me, my favorite episode was actually the double, triple fake out at the end where we learn that Skeen is in fact not evil or has not betrayed the group. And I was just mostly relieved that Michelle Yeoh didn't betray me because I didn't want her to. She's just not on screen enough. She's it's, not on screen and, enough. And I get it as Fjall and Ayla, but it's... She just won a Golden Globe also for yes. everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, Golden Globe winner Michelle Yeoh was not on screen enough. She wasn't. She really wasn't. Yeah. And at the very least, I was happy that in this episode, she got to be the grown-up in the room. She came up with the plan. I know we talked about in last episode, one of my takeaways was that no one's coming up with a fucking plan. What are we doing here? Finally, Skiing is like, okay, y'all are idiots. Here's the plan. And I made it happen. So I'm glad there's a grown-up in the room keeping people in line. All right, what about your favorite quote? Speaking of Michelle Yeoh, when Fjall drunkenly lets loose that <laughs> there's no secret passage, she says, every time I think I've suffered the last fool, another lands in front of me. Oh, That's a great such line. Such a good line. Great line. Great line. Great line. I loved it. That stuck with me as well. For me, again, I, I had a lot of issues with this episode. I'm not going to hide that. But I did enjoy Ayla saying Fjall all my songs are sung. For some reason, that was so sad to me. Like, she said that, and something about the delivery, something about the moment really got me. Because you just kind of want to grab her and hug her and say, that's not true. You have so many more songs left. You have so much more left to give to this world. And Fial effectively says the same thing to her. 
I thought it was a good line. I thought it was an emotional moment. And I thought it was good insight to some of the guilt that Ayla is carrying with her. This guilt is so great that she thinks she has nothing more to give to the world. Even though we as the viewer, even though her friends and compatriots here all know that she does. Even though the people of the continent love the lark and want more of the lark. is quite emotional. It affected me for sure. When the show hits, it hits. And I think that's yeah. just so frustrating. Is yeah. You see this almost a bipolar aspect of it where you hear a song that I'm like, this is as good as almost anything I've ever heard in anything. And I hear a line and I'm like, oh, that's a really good line. And then the bottom is just, it's just really annoying things are just bad. And it's just so frustrating. And I'll save, mainly I'll save this for the end. But it is just so frustrating what the show is and what it really just could have been based on, I don't know, whether they were told to cut all this shit, whether they were told to go to four episodes or whatnot. There is a really fucking good show in here. There is. The potential is there. And you're absolutely correct. That inconsistency is maybe the yeah. most frustrating part as a Witcher fan, as a viewer who wants to love this. I don't like shitting on Witcher things, right? Like, I enjoy this universe. I want to enjoy them. But it can be deeply frustrating when you're like, this could have been so good. And the inconsistency, the ups, the downs are so extreme. Much like my previous relationships. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett, podcasts are podcasts. Lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the path.